0: Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining
1: me on A Word from the Word. Today's part 13 in our Acts of the Resurrection Life series. If you missed any parts, the podcasts are posted at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. Our title today is Paul and Silas's Excellent Adventure, and we're in Acts 16, continuing our thematic journey and adventure through Acts. Again, we're tracing the manifestations of the power of the Holy Spirit as they surface in the day-to-day lives and ministry of Jesus' followers. But before we glean from chapter 16, I'm curious if you're familiar with D. James Kennedy and the ministry he founded, Evangelism Explosion. In the late 1980s, there was an advanced evangelism explosion seminar held in Bogota, Colombia. The keynote speaker was Reverend Rodolfo Loyola, pastor from Madrid, Spain. During his address, he shared his testimony about a series of events in his life, the outcome of which can only be attributed to God's power and providence. You see, some 16 years earlier, Rodolfo was a pastor and professor in Cuba, the Cuban government got fed up with his Christian witness and ordered him to either recant his faith or quit teaching. And he had 15 days to decide. He answered, I don't need 15 days or 15 minutes. I won't be back tomorrow to teach. Well, friends, that was not the end of it. A few days later, in the middle of the night, Rodolfo was abducted and imprisoned in a Cuban concentration camp, a stint that lasted over two years. During that time, partly because of his burning desire to share the gospel with those around him, he was transferred 13 times to other concentration camps. Finally, Castro's head honchos gave him an ultimatum. He had 30 days to raise $2,000 to get his family out of Cuba. Rodolfo and his wife prayed for guidance and immediately wrote to their families and friends in other countries. 30 days later, they had two thousand and ten dollars so with ten dollars to their name rodolfo and his family were dispatched to madrid spain now here's the cool thing friends when rodolfo tells his story he joyfully exclaims that he's a missionary to spain sent by castro himself wow all i can say friends is what an adventure with the lord Isn't it time we Christ followers begin viewing our Christian life on a daily basis as an adventure with God? And not just an adventure, but a mission. It's time we start waking up each morning with the expectation that with the Lord, no day is destined to be normal. You know, same old, same old, and no day is predictable either. Friends, if you're old school and have a day timer or a new school and your calendar's on your phone, live each day realizing that the Holy Spirit is your guide, and he's free to rearrange your days and weeks to suit his plan for you. The sooner we make peace with the fact that control is an illusion, the better we'll be. We humans work overtime building mechanisms into our lives to have some semblance of control. But each day God gives us breath, we should be joyfully exclaiming, This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. If our day is unadventurous, we've lost our sensitivity to the power and providence of God through his Holy Spirit. Where's our sense of adventure if our days are not adventurous, it's not God's fault. Listen, friends, if we're genuinely born again and genuinely filled with the Holy Spirit, we should possess and embrace a divine sense of adventure. After all, being filled with the Holy Spirit means we're filled with what? Power. As our week unfolds, do we think... I just can't wait to get together with my brothers and sisters at church or in a small group so I can tell everyone about my excellent adventure with the Lord this week. Well, today let's look at Paul and Silas's excellent adventure recorded in Acts 16. Unfortunately, from the human vantage point, Acts 15 closes with Paul and Barnabas having a disagreement and parting company, so Barnabas takes John Mark with him and Paul takes Silas with him. Paul journeys northwestward through the Galatian region and the southwest coast province of Asia Minor. On the way, Paul enlists Timothy to join his missionary troop. And it's also here in chapter 16 that scholars believe Luke teamed up with Paul since 1611 begins the We section of Acts. Initially, Paul, Silas, and Timothy passed through several cities where Gentiles have been saved. So they pass on to them the instructions agreed upon at the Jerusalem Council per Acts 15. Interestingly, several divine promptings, which will expand later, lead Paul and his company, which now includes Luke, to Macedonia, the ancient southeastern European region, and they stop in Philippi. So, friends, let's pick up Luke's narration at 1612. We reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to Riverbank, where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some of the women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God, or she was a worshipper of God. Now friends, we've mentioned this before. Gentiles who embraced the Israelite God, Yahweh, yet did not become full-fledged Jews, were called either God-fearers or worshippers of God. These terms are common to Luke in Acts. So, the text continues. She, Lydia, listened to us, and the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests, saying, If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord... "'Come stay at my home,' and she urged us until we agreed. Now, friends, the Jewish community of Philippi was too small to have a synagogue, which required ten adult males. So Jews met for prayer in an open space by the river that afforded privacy.' quiet, and a water for their purification rites. Additionally, Lydia was a successful businesswoman from Thyatira, famous for its woolen fabrics, weavers, and linens. Lydia represents the upper echelon of society, so to speak, likely of high rank or possibly nobility. How do we know? Purple dye, which was extracted from marine shellfish and dyeing fabrics, was an enterprise known among well-to-do people. Apparently, for Lydia, this was very profitable, and she likely relocated to set up shop in Philippi and enjoyed a successful business. So let's pick up Luke's narrative at verse 16. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on for days, until Paul was so exasperated, he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. They shouted to the officials, The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They're not teach. teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Notice, friends, that the slave girls' exploiters viciously attacked the Christ followers, treating them as criminals, blaming them for fomenting a disturbance and resorting to racial bias, these Jews, and appealed to the Philippian officials' pride, us Romans. Remember, friends, as we're tracing the gospel's advance into either major ethnic groups or geographical regions, what do we notice? Notice. Opposition! And once again, demonic opposition via a demon-possessed slave girl. Another spiritual power struggle. Recall Acts 8, when the first persecution scattered the disciples outside Jerusalem. Who did Philip encounter in Samaria? Simon the sorcerer. Simon competed with the proclamation of the true gospel. Then in Acts 13, when the gospel's thrust became the Gentiles, who did Saul confront on the island of Cyprus? Iliumus, the Jewish sorcerer and false prophet. Iliumus too, thwarted the proclamation of the gospel to the Gentile Roman proconsul, Sergius Paulus. So now in Acts 16, as the gospel advances into Europe, so to speak, in the leading city of Macedonia, Philippi, a demon-possessed slave girl, competes with the true gospel. Once again, spiritual opposition. Friends, an interesting word is used in verse 16. This slave girl had a spirit of divination. It's where we get our English word python. You know, the snake. The feminine form is Pythia, and it's a reference to the priestess of Apollo in the city of Delphi. The priestess was believed to be inspired by the god Apollo to speak oracles in Apollo's temple. Perhaps you're familiar with Greek mythology. Apollo slew this python dragon serpent and so became the guardian and patron of this temple, which was a door to the underworld. People flocked from all over the Mediterranean world to consult the priestess of Apollo for advice. Pythia, as she was known, would descend into the oracle cavern to be inspired by Apollo being possessed by his spirit. She would then rise up from the cavern and utter the god's message to the inquirer, initially in ecstatic gibberish, then in Greek poetic verse. Luke's word choice makes it clear that the disciples believed this slave girl was possessed by the python spirit. And curiously, for days she gave free advertising to the gospel. Yet, Paul silenced her. Why? Friends, Paul didn't want the Philippian colonists to go on thinking they could believe in the God he was preaching and remain involved in idolatry and the occult. Paul didn't want his lack of response to be interpreted as fear, or worse, powerlessness. Well, in contrast to Lydia, the slave girl represents the lower class of society. But God's no respecter of persons or classes, right? So Paul delivers her from demonic possession. Paul didn't cower in weakness and say, Oh, please stop mocking the God we believe in. Why are you doing this? No, Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul was possessed with power and boldness from the true Spirit, the Holy Spirit. With this power and authority in him, he commanded the Spirit to leave her. Amen. Well, friends, verses 19 through 24 recount the familiar part of the story, don't they? We know it as the Philippian jailer, where one of the most familiar lines appears. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Because of the ruckus Paul caused exercising the demon, he and Silas were flogged and thrown into the Philippian jail. Please read the full account. It's terrific. I'll just highlight a few things here. I want to be sure we connect the dots and see just what's happening. Friends, I propose that the jailer was the Holy Spirit's intended target to hear the gospel. I propose that the Holy Spirit directed Paul and his buddies to Philippi to bring this salvation message to the Philippian jailer and his household. And in so doing, Lydia and the slave girl came along for the ride into the kingdom. And here, friends, the jailer represents the political and military might of Roman society. Philippi was a Roman colony, and specifically a military retirement community. It had a small Jewish population and some God-fearing Gentiles, but its reputation was gained for being a military retirement city. Many military retirees had been granted land, and in turn they reciprocated by maintaining a military presence in this frontier city. Now, in verses 25 through 34, I'm going to suggest we witness four things. The power of providence, the power of prayer, the power of praise, and the power to rise above persecution, both demonic and human. First, the power of providence, verses 6 through 10, where we read, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, friends, what's cool here is Luke's summary. We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Recall I said earlier we'd examine the Holy Spirit's promptings in more detail. Well, in this section, God supernaturally alters the destination of these missionaries three times. Why? Because it's his mission. The message is about him. The power is from him. And the directions are given by him. Did you notice the three expressions? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, and God? What's Luke trying to tell us here? I propose, friends, that the interchangeability of these three phrases are not just there for stylistic purposes, but they're an unconscious expression of the early church's Trinitarian faith in embryonic form. In other words, divine guidance comes from the triune Godhead, and the close association of the Holy Spirit with Jesus Christ renders the Spirit knowable, Here we're learning by osmosis that the Holy Spirit is not a vague, nebulous force that pervades the world. He is the definite, recognizable, knowable Spirit who lives with the followers of Jesus and lives in them. Sometimes he guides them to a door, other times he guides them away from a door. Plus, notice how Paul and his troop moved forward or away under the impulse of the Spirit. When checked by the Spirit from going into one direction, they went in another, trusting in the Spirit's approval or disapproval of their traveling plans. Friends, are we just as willing to give that area of our lives over to the Spirit's control? In seeking God's will, do we equally welcome knowing what God wants us to do and where he wants us to go, as well as what God does not want us to do or where he does not want us to go? Second, the power of prayer is seen in verses 25 through 28. And third, the power of praise is seen here as well. And this is the portion of the story most familiar to us. Because of Paul exercising the demon from the slave girl, causing a stir among the merchants, the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. And after being severely flogged, they were cast into prison, where the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. So in verse 25, we find Paul and Silas praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Whoa, wait just a minute. Praying and singing? Have you ever wondered what they might have been praying? How about, oh Lord, what are we doing here? Please, please, get us out of this stinking jail. After all, we're king's kids. We're naming and claiming deliverance. We're commanding you, Lord, to get us out of here in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Is that what they prayed, friends? I don't think so. Their praying turned into praising. Their suffering turned into singing. Only the power of the Holy Spirit could accomplish that. Instead of whining, they were witnessing with their frame of mind, their disposition, and their attitude. The Holy Spirit was covertly witnessing through them to the prisoners around them. And fourth, the power to rise above persecution, both demonic and human, is seen here as well. Now, friends, this inner cell where they were thrown included leg stocks, long metal comb-like bars spaced out for the legs of several prisoners. Metal rods were inserted at intervals into the tops of the teeth and driven into the floor, pressing tightly on their legs and preventing the inmates from shifting position to avoid discomfort. You could only sleep by lying down on your back or remaining sitting up. These stocks served two purposes. They were a maximum security measure, and they served as a form of torture. But friends, in spite of these indignities, shame, repulsive conditions of the inner cell, and the physical pain, Paul and Silas found joy in the Lord. Can you see that the Holy Spirit's power was just as much being demonstrated here than it was exercising the demon from the slave girl? Friends, the power to rise above persecution enables us to realize three things. First, the believer's joy is within. Not conditioned by outward circumstances, persecution cannot destroy our peace and our joy. Second, the enemies of Christ cannot destroy our faith and love for God. And third, even in the worst of circumstances, God provides sufficient grace for those in his will and suffering for his sake. That Holy Spirit infused power also prepared Paul and Silas for a most excellent adventure that was still to come an earthquake right after they prayed and sang verse 26 says suddenly there was a violent earthquake. The prison's foundation was shaken and all the doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Well, you know how the story ends, right? The jailer, witnessing all this, thinking the prisoners would escape, prepared to commit suicide because Roman law exacted death for jailers whose inmates escaped. So Paul yells out, we're all here, don't kill yourself. That famous line is spoken then. The jailer comes up to Paul and Silas and asks, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now this is the best evangelistic response to a natural occurrence I've ever heard. The jailer wanted to save his neck, but Paul wanted to save his soul. So he answered, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. The Holy Spirit positioned Paul and Silas at the right time and in the right place to be his instruments to bring the message of the gospel. So what seemed like a convoluted journey that only ended in suffering turned out to be an excellent adventure that ended in a family's salvation. And what made this Paul and Silas's excellent adventure was the joy of knowing that what they were going through ultimately led to the salvation of some precious souls. Well, friends, this story caused me to think of some provocative questions for us. One, has God provided natural occurrences for us? desiring us to turn them around into spiritual opportunities where someone hears the gospel two how sensitive are we to the guiding influence of god's holy spirit can god get our attention when he wants to lead us to an opportunity to share the gospel Paul and his party looked for people, this is number three, to share the gospel with. How keen are we to seek out witnessing opportunities? Are there places we can go to tell others? And four, does the Holy Spirit's power within us counteract our natural human fears, providing supernatural boldness to share our faith when these opportunities arise? Friends, it's my prayer that we can all answer in the affirmative to these challenging questions. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of our program. Today's broadcast will close with an email where you may write me. I'd love to hear your feedback on these teachings and what this program's meant to you. A listener recently wrote in regarding Part 11, The Divine Combo, Inspiration and Perspiration, with this comment. I absolutely loved the program. No matter that I'm going through a bit of a rough patch at work and in my personal life, God's blessings and call on my life are always going to take precedence. His love for his people of the world is great. He needs us to be disciples of his word and reach out to others by example. Like your message, Paul and others were thrown out. I love the historical figures of all the people you used people in history who were looked down upon, but they showed they were strong. In the Lord, we are strong. Well, thank you for those encouraging feedback terms, how that installment impacted you. And remember, friends, all podcasts of A Word from the Word are freely accessible at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the pro menu for local program podcasts. Additionally, the podcasts are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please share them with family or friends who may be touched, blessed, or challenged by these teachings. And A Word from the Word is now being rebroadcast weekly on ChristianBody.net. Just check ChristianBody.net for program schedule. And please remember, A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program. If it's blessing you or edifying you, please join our support team. It's faithful supporters like you that keep this program on the air. Write me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the Word.
0: Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the Word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.